Hello and welcome to the first of the Scottish Independence podcasts for 2023. And on behalf of the whole Indie Life podcast team, Happy New Year. This really could be a great year for us and we're kicking it off with a really positive event which was the launch of Common Wheels book called Sorted. You can get your copy of Sorted from Common Wheels website which is commonwheel.scot. The launch took place in Glasgow just before Christmas. The first speaker up was one of the directors of Common Wheel, Malcolm Fraser. As I said, I'm, I'm an architect, so I'm going to talk about the place section and the built environment. And being an architect, it's difficult. We've got lots of fights, but it's also wonderful. We're, we're increasingly understanding that the built environment is at the heart of well-being, uh, social interaction. All these things are important to us. It's interesting, Scottish Government used to talk about Scotland in relation to Nordic countries a lot. We've kind of stopped doing that. I think maybe out of shame uh, at how we don't measure up in terms of ambition and delivery. But there's been a wonderful policy adopted in Finland uh, in the last year. And at the moment, people in a liberal um, sort of mind think of the built environment, a good home as being important alongside a job, alongside mental health, alongside health in general, all those sorts of things. In Finland, they've said, actually, it's the basis for all those other things. If you have a warm home, if you have a supportive community, if you're able to walk about and breathe fresh air, that is the, the, the first building block that all those other things that can, can come out of. And that contrasts enormously with the British neoliberal model, where basically at the moment, the built environment is a lever to uh, extract money out of out of us, out of taxpayers, out of the state. Um, important people in the government, government agencies, talk about a, a magic word for them is deal flow. And it's all about knocking down buildings, building new ones. It's all about getting a big river of money to throw, to, to, to flow down the, the thrapples of bankers and construction conglomerates. These are the things that run the built environment. I'm going to bring up a, a local and absolutely opposite exemplar of all this. I've just been out at the Wineford Estate at Maryhill, uh, just off the Kelvin River. And what's, what's being threatened there is extraordinary. Wineford's a really huge and lovely estate, um, modernist, 1960s, so kind of looped down on a bit. Uh, there's 1,900 homes in total, but 600 of them are in four tall towers. Rather well-designed towers, really solid, um, 600 homes in, in there. And the Wheatley Group, the social landlord, biggest social landlord in Scotland, and there already is an issue where we tend to admire agglomeration a bit much. Look at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital rather than local community hospitals. But the Wheatley Group wants to knock them down and replace the 600 homes with 300 mid-market ones. And we'll get back to that in a second, but first of all now, housing crisis. They've been emptying people out there over the last year. 80% of them are empty, so there's 480 empty homes there in a housing crisis. When we're putting Ukrainian refugees on boats rather than uh, good solid buildings like that. The reason given 
is to improve their environmental performance. Now, that's extraordinary on a number of levels. First of all, you, some of you may know what an EPC rating is. It's the environmental performance of your house. The average in Scotland is D. These homes are a C, so they're already better than average. So, And then, if you look a bit deeper into it, the idea of taking all the embodied carbon in the concrete, all the materials that have been put up there, all that slotted solidity, sticking the landfill site and building a new, is absolute madness. Post COP26, the one thing we should have learned is not to waste the world's resources in that way, not to go through this deal flow cycle of building and rebuilding. But over and above that, you can't help but understand this is a, a maybe not deliberately, but because of this is a financial model that the developers like, that uh, uh, the builders like. Um, Wheatley is a not-for-profit organisation, but they are told that they have to act as if they're a, an ordinary developer. So they have to look at the, the, the rental they get off of 600 social tenants there, as opposed to 300 mid-market mid rent. The money spent in knocking it down will come from us, the government, the money uh, in terms of building the new ones will come from us, the government. So they're just looking at a rise in overall rental take and that is basically a good thing. So in social cleansing, 600 people moving and moving out, they won't be the people who can afford the rentals on these 300 houses. So um, Commonweal is, um, stands in solidarity with uh, Wainford and what's going on there and also um, will cry it to the heavens as being an exemplar of what we do wrong um, with, with housing. In general, to take some of these points further, the whole thing about wastage, carbon, deal flow, we have to stop knocking down good old buildings and building new ones. Glasgow is absolutely, every 30 years Glasgow tears itself apart, rips down all Victorian buildings, Puts up, puts up 60s turbots and rips them down, puts up new ones. And we can't, we have to stop doing that. Uh, there are also, and we have to change tax regimes to allow that to happen. The idea at the moment, you charge 20% VAT if you want to repair your house, you charge zero if you knock it down and build a new one. It's absolute madness, we have to get beyond that. Addition, there's also 34,000 empty homes in Scotland, including those ones at Whiteford, um, given the housing crisis, we need to focus on repairing them before we build new ones. But also when we build new ones, we need to think a bit more carefully about what we build them off. If you see a normal, a new housing estate, they're all stick-built, timber kit, diddy boxes. Um, these are all built, 75% homes in Scotland are built with uh, timber kit. Um, it's engineered to such an extreme flimsiness, we can't use Scottish timber, which grows too fast in it. So all the timber comes from the Baltic and Russia. Obviously, there are issues around that. Obviously, also there's issues around Brexit and the, the money going up for it. It's also, it's so thin and slim and slender that it doesn't last very long and we need to dip it in toxic rock treatments which until recently have involved arsenic in them. We build houses dipped in arsenic. Um, EU ruled against that. Presumably that's a Brexit benefit to come. <laughs> also, the insulation in them, and you couldn't make this up, but the insulation in them is toxic too. 
you'll have been following the what should be criminal trial at, at um, Grenfell. There's been quarter of a billion in lawyers' fees spent there, and everybody knows what the primary cause of death there, but they're not talking about it. They have said, confirmed it's the case, but people didn't die of the flames. They died of toxic fume inhalation. The insulation around the building is, is something called polyisocyanurate, which is the same insulation that goes in most new homes we built, and the cyan bit is cyanide. People die from cyanide inhalation at Brentford. The stuff we build new buildings from is absolute toxic shit. It's incredible what we do. There's a huge amount of um, challenges in redoing this. We should use Scottish timber. If we use Scottish timber, we try and build with thick, mass Scottish timber, Scottish if possible. Matt locks up tons of carbon. We don't need to use these toxic rot inhibitors. Um, it's natural, gives out good chemicals which calm people down, produces nice environments, all that sort of thing. The government should be concentrating through their social house builders on improving communities, using better materials, knocking down old buildings, all those sorts of things. So we've tried to ta tackle that, tuck all that into a wee chapter within the book. It's part of a great many emergencies we've tried to uh, talk about and address, um, but a particular one that's of uh, immediate particular importance for us all within um, the significance of the built environment, our health and well-being. Um, so a general awareness, I hope, um, to public attention a bit more, um, both within Commonweal and within our media contacts too, so we'll be supporting them as we go forward. Thank you very much. The main speaker at the book launch was the inimitable Robin McAlpine. Obviously, this book means a lot to him and it just spilled out in his speech. Before we move on, I just want to say that early on we decided that we want to make this book look beautiful, not just be content that looked beautiful. We've been doing a project for the last couple of years with Duncan and Jordan's College of Art and Design. And that's how I met um, Charity Lauren. Charity offered to volunteer for us for nothing to do some work. And I said, well, it's funny, we've got a job. Um, and we said, could you put a little team together? And they did. And they said it was a joy to work with us. And my God, it was a joy to work with them. It was amazing all the way through. It was such fun. Uh, our, our one hour briefing meetings never ran less than three hours. Um, we had a, such lovely chats. But that's not the point. And I'm going to own up to something. And I'm going to deny it if anybody um, ever says this in public. But one of the illustrations came through. And I looked at it. And I was sitting at my computer going, I'm no crying, I'm no crying. <laughs> because they captured what we were trying to do with this book so completely and so fully that I cannot now imagine these words without those pictures. So it is not a case that they came along at the end and stuck some pictures in it. They were part of our project team all the way through. And they are part of this project. <laughs> Things because everybody's miserable. It's hellish everywhere I go. It doesn't matter who it is, doing the street, at the rugby club, in the co-op, everywhere I go, people are miserable, our heads are down, and get, everything's terrible, it's getting worse. What are we going to do? And that's what I was, and that's what we were as a team. But a year and a half ago, when we decided to do this, there was a kind of sense of, my God, is anyone ever going to believe it can be better again? Is anyone ever going to feel like 
you know, the world can be a better place in the future. And we're sitting, we're chatting, we're saying, that's our job, that's what we do. That's what Commonwealth is supposed to be for. So let's get it together and let's do this. And that was the first reason. The first reason that we did this was because our heads were down. And if we mean you's heads were down. And we wanted to get our heads up. We wanted to have something positive. We wanted to believe again. So it's a joy of working for Commonweal is we're like a, a self-generating happiness machine on a good day. <laughs> and we just decided that's what we're going to do. We're just going to deal with it. If things are miserable, let us not be. So we sat down and we planned it. We worked out what this was going to be, what was going to be in this book. And we decided that we'd covered so much. Let's just explain it all. Let's just do everything because we're nothing if not psychotic, eh, ambitious. <laughs> and we'll just try and see if we can do the whole thing. And we're big holes. So we've got we've got Andy down from our health group all the way down from Sky, one of our two of our people in our health group are from Sky, they've been amazing. And we started from scratch and we were doing weekly meetings. And oh my god, what I've learned, what I what I picked up from this. This is the first really happy, positive message that I want to see, which is we didn't spend anything producing this book. Ticket to London here and there, a couple of a couple of rail journeys and the electricity runs and zoom. We just drew in the talent that already exists in Scotland. And incidentally, not just Scotland. So for example, one of the people who really helped us this was Richard Murphy. There is lots of goodwill out there for a country that wants to do something good. We can draw in that goodwill, but we don't have to go abroad. We don't have to go out of our own, our own territory. Scotland is so filled with talent, so filled with capability, yes. so filled with knowledge and expertise that we just need to get politics and a society that harnesses it rather than rejecting it. And all I can say is I don't think we've got anyone, sadly from the care team here, but if only the expertise that we've got in that team and the expertise that they drew on was what was shaping the Scottish Government's National Care Service, we'd be getting a National Care Service to be excited about rather than frankly about uh, feeling afraid of. So, this is the first thing that I want to see, is we have got what we need in this country in terms of the people who can make things happen. So we drew all of them, and we asked them again and again, how do we do this, how do we fix that, what do we see here, why doesn't this work anymore? I got the, the, the health group, I got to come every week and say, we've got the same number of GPs, but maybe they can get time with a doctor. What happened? And they explained it to me, you know what, that makes sense. You know what, we can fix that. It just made me start to feel, we can do this, we can get this fixed. With so much work already done with all of the work that we've done through our networks and all through our people, that pulling this material together, it took a lot of work, but it all started properly to come together. We, the rest of it, it's boring, but it's necessary. We got it together, we took the notes, we wrote it up, we sent it for proofing, we got comments all the way through, every single chapter went to groups of experts to look it over and tell us what they think. They give us content comments, once with the content comments we re-edited it, we sent it out to our team of proofreaders who were absolutely amazing because I completely screwed up the timescales and they had to proof it incredibly quickly and they were sending me things back at 11 o'clock in deadline night, they're typing it all up and we got it done and it was this enormous team and I think we're going to hold the team up on the stage at some point here but I just want to say as well, you all know Craig, Craig's amazing, Craig's, you know, the heart of so much of what Commonweal does and he did so much of this work. But I don't think you all know um, Caitlin and Nicola yet, who are our new, two new policy officers who started this year. And I cannot tell you what, a, what a, a drive they brought to this team, how much they brought to this project. So Caitlin led the justice stuff, 
uh, Nicola led the education stuff and the care and the, um, the health stuff along with me. It was, it was, it's been brilliant. It's such a strong team that we've got just now. But it's beyond that team. Again, I can't thank you enough. Those of you, I know quite a few here were proofreading. And we got it. We got it to our designers. We got it to the Scottish Independence Forum who helped us with the, the funding for it and out to a fundraiser because, oh my god, the print cost tonight. It's supposed to be 200 and 180 pages and it came out to 300 pages and that's powerful. And it, and it was so expensive to print because the cost of inks has gone up, the cost of paper and the illustrations were so beautiful we didn't want to cut any out. And you all held us out with the fundraiser and you held us out three times over with what we asked for and you did it incredibly quickly. We really felt that. I mean, it was really appreciated. It was um, another one of those occasions of putting our hands up and saying, will anybody answer? And you did. And it meant a lot to us. So we know that this country is filled with people that want to do something good. We know that. It's all here. So we got it finished and we sent it off. And this is really what I want to see is in that book, I hope you can see that we've got a sense, a way, a thing which can make Scotland a better, a better country by doing things which I know we all feel strongly and positively about. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to finish off by just going through, not the content, because if I started to talk about the content of this book, people will be dragging me this off this stage at 8 o'clock tonight. No, no, I've got, I had a vision of me sitting at 6 o'clock in the night with a beer and this all being finally finished after months <laughs> off it. So no, you won't. But um, what I want to talk about is a number of the themes. Because what I hope people can see when this comes out is this is not just a group of ideas. There is a philosophy in this and there are fundamental underpinning concepts which come through this book again and again. It works because it's based on a series of things that we should be doing and we're not. So, let me give you some of those things. Thing number one, nothing good comes from bitterness and division. And I don't care what kind of bitterness and division it is. I don't care whether it's people shouting at each other on social media. I don't care whether it's a, a wide divide in our society where you're either a Brexit or a Remainer or you're an independent supporter or you're not. No good comes from division. We've got to start to believe again that we can build something that's good for everybody. Not for the victors, not for the ones that won, for everybody. And it's gone so out of fashion just now in politics, the idea that there are things that can lift everyone up. We're always looking at our calculators to work out who's the winner and who's the loser. Let's try and start from the beginning and say, how do we create the most possible winners? And how do we try and make sure that nobody is losing from this in a way that makes them feel bad about their society, their lives or what's happening? And that was the first thing that we said we wanted to do. We want not to find a way to build a better Scotland by trying to work out who the best enemy is and increasing the antagonism, the hatred towards that enemy on the basis that we will then gather the support of people who don't like that group. Because that's not going to do any good. This does not mean that vested interests do not need to be challenged. This book will again and again, there's the theme in it, monopoly does nobody any good. Any kind of monopoly. Monopolies of power. Monopolies of wealth, monopolies of market access, business monopolies. Monopolies don't help us. They've got to be challenged. Big landowners don't help us. The concentration of land in Scotland is holding us back. We need to change that. So it's not that there aren't vested interests that we need to be challenging. But we've got to do this with a voice which says, Dear landowner, 
we are going to take some of your land. You will not have quite as much power as you did before, but we are not trying to ruin the quality of your life. You'll still have a wonderful life in your lovely big house, with your lovely big car, and all your posh pals. Um, you're not going to get shoot grouse and it's up to me, but most of it, you can still have a wonderful life. We are not here to penalise you. We are not here to do damage. We are here to lift everybody up. And it's a message that I desperately want to get across. We can do better for everybody. It is not a zero-sum game. We can make it better for everyone if we work together for everyone. And that's the first thing. Universalism. We've got to remember that what we share as a people, as a species, as a planet, as human beings, what we share is so much more than what divides us. And we've got to stop spending our time looking at what divides us. And we've got to start building and creating on the basis of what unites us. And I'm just going to give you an example of that one. Which is that, funnily enough, the family struggling on benefits, who need, need a food bank, and the small business person who kind of get a foot in because everyone feels like it's rigged against them. And the community, the rural middle class community, whose kids are having to leave because they can't get housing because they don't own the land around about them. All of these people have the same problem, the same interest in common. We can unite people by saying more access to, to resources, more access to power, more access to your democracy, more access to decision making. If we get that, then we create a coalition where a granny and a low income and a kid that can't get into, uh, can't get on the housing ladder, and a, a professional who's massively overworked at a job because the health service is collapsing. All of these people can have a united cause and can work together. We can persuade them that we don't have to live in a divided world anymore. We can live a united Scotland who works to make things better. So that's one of the themes. A second theme is this idea of monopoly, decentralisation, making things local, giving people power. The single biggest resource, I have no question anymore, the single biggest resource in Scotland that we've got to play with isn't wind or tidal energy, it's people. We've created this stupid Scotland where everyone's afraid to step forward and step up because there's a rule book that's that thick which tells you what you can and can't do. And we, it was interesting because this came up again and again in different lines of work. In social work, for, for their care section, everybody knows what they need to do and everyone's scared to do it. If you're a care worker, you can, you're not allowed to use a stove because the insurance says you're not allowed to heat someone's soup. So if you've got to see an old, uh, an elderly woman that you're helping as a care worker, you can't heat soup on a stove because the insurance doesn't let you use a stove. You can use a microwave, but you can't use a stove. You can't just do these things. You don't have the time to spend that extra five minutes that makes all the difference to that person's day, makes them feel better. You can't make these decisions because you're not really in control. In the NHS, this came across again and again. Why do we have all these staff, all these resources, and we don't get the most out of them? Because everybody's scared. The fourth biggest cost centre in the NHS, it goes staff, buildings, medicine, legal fees. Legal fees is the fourth biggest cost centre because everyone's petrified to do anything. And we've got hospitals filled with qualified professionals, a nurse who can solve a problem in the spot. Management's kind of indicated that's not really her or his problems. They bump it up 
everyone bumps everything up because nobody has actually stopped to say, no, step forward, step up. If you can fix a problem, fix a problem, and we've got your back. And I'm really, really taken with a local authority down in England. It's guidance to social care workers was over 40 pages long. And you have to go through 40 pages of detailed rules if you want to go and do anything to help someone. And they said, this is mad, this is enough. And they changed it. And they replaced that 40 pages of rules with one sentence. Not one sentence, if you, if you, if you do it with commas. That sentence was, um, don't break the law, don't blow the budget, do no harm. And that's it. They replaced 40 pages of rules with that. And they said, go. Do what you think is the best thing to do, and it unleashes resources. And Andy will tell you, according to him, I can't see where Andy can add it. Yep, if you see him, Bonnie, Bonnie, on, he'll tell you. He was working on a, um, in one of the refugee camps with teams of uh, medics volunteering from around the world, and he's a dentist. And he said the team that were amazing, really impressive with the Dutch, because the Dutch use a, a system of self-management. They were agile, they were quick, they could solve problems instantly. If they weren't, if the formation they were in wasn't the formation that was needed, they changed it. They did it themselves. They didn't check it with a manager who checked it with a health board who checked it with a minister. They just did it. In communities, do you know how I feel about this one? Our communities are the least power in any developed Western democracy. We're the most centralised democracy of a country of our size, anywhere, of our sort, anywhere in the world. And all these communities are filled with ideas. Maybe town bigger. We wanted to do a, a, a years ago, we wanted to do a farmer's market. The bureaucracy to get a farmer's market going was so great. And the councillor who had a wee business would be that interesting. That it never happened. We never did it. What the hell is it in a country where a town that's active and busy cannot organise these things because they don't have the great decision-making power. That's their biggest resource in Scotland. You can repeat this over and over again. Every single part of our society has people who are prevented from stepping up and living up to their own potential by a fearful bureaucracy and a centralisation. We've got to set people free. If we don't set people free to fix the problems that they can fix, which are there, which they can see with their own eyes, if we don't set them free, we are always going to keep failing. This is about trust. We've got to go back to being a country that trusts our professionals, that trusts our workers at every level to do what they think is right. Because you know this and I know this. Only the tabloid newspapers don't know this. None of them are in it for themselves. They're doing this because they want to make a difference. We've got to release the resources to help them make a difference. Hell yes! Oh, like that, you know. So that's another theme, which is set people free. Let us lead our country forward, not from the top, but from everywhere, from every one of us. Another theme is resources. And uh, we didn't end up using this, but when we were trying to do the, the illustrations for each chapter, I did a week in a phrase for each one, so we could start by trying to illustrate that. And the illustration that we used for the resources chapter, uh, the phrase that we used was, um, a resource wasted is an opportunity failed. And it is. 
when you throw a resource at me, when you don't use a resource effectively, it's just a wasted opportunity. We've got to look at every resource in this country and say, how do we use this properly? How do we stop throwing things out that don't need thrown out? How do we stop dumping the electricity at night because it's getting generated a long time when the technologies are there for us to capture that energy and use it? How do we look at every square inch of our land and say, you could be doing something. If you're not growing, and believe me, most of it can grow. If you're not growing something that we can use as a useful crop or, or that um, helps us to do things, then we should rewild you. Because that captures carbon and it brings back our biodiversity and our animals. And it looks better. It's just better for us. We've got to look at a resource. We've got to say, is that doing enough for us? Is that enough there? If that's not doing enough for us, why is it not doing enough for us? And how do we make it work better? We've got to look at what we've got in Scotland and stop thinking about growing for its own sake and start thinking about using what we've got better for all of us right now. A theme throughout this is win-win, but I can't emphasise this enough. Uh, if we want to save the planet, and remember right now, and I can't emphasise enough again, I was talking earlier on to somebody who's been in Africa for the last 10 years, we have to do this now, not for us. We've got a low population density. We're in a cold corner of the world, comparatively. We've got high land. I mean, it's good news, but it's sad in its way. Scotland can ride out this environmental crisis much better than most places. We've got to get it together, because Africa can, and low-lying nations right across the South Pacific can. We've got to do it now. So it is a moral duty, and it is a favour to somebody who's not us to get this right. But it's win-win, because our houses will be so much better if we could get them insulated and draft-proofed and damp-proofed, which we need to do if we can get our windows fixed and replaced and re-engineered, we can make our houses better. Yes, we do our bit to save the world, to save populations who are going to suffer from this a lot faster than us, but we end up with these beautiful houses to live in. It is not a zero-sum game. We are not saving the world by insulating the house. Not if we don't want to. If we want to, we can just be insulating our houses to make them warm and cosy and toasty and cheap to heat where no kid is ever breathing in the damp air of substandard housing and the health problems that come from all of that. It's win-win. And I feel myself getting a wee bit excited and I feel like I'm probably supposed to stop talking soon. So let me pick one more thing for just now, which is believe again to believe again. The best political moment of my life, without a shadow of a doubt, was 2013-2014. And it's not just because the hope of independence was there. It was because that hope of independence kicked us off a period in Scotland where we looked and we thought, my God, anything's possible. Anything's possible. We could do this. And in the time since, it breaks my heart that possibilities not opening up and feel like they've been closing down. feels like less and less is possible. You know I'm critical about the idea that independence isn't to make things better, it just is, and we won't talk about that afterwards. No, it's got to be a bit more than that. We're letting our people down. We've got kids hungry. Children hungry in Scotland. The 21st century turns my stomach, makes me really upset and angry. We've got to believe we can fix this. We've got to believe we can do it. Because we've got to believe again. We can't get ourselves trapped 
into this cycle of seeing ourselves over and over. Oh, it's all awful. It's all terrible. Everyone's getting worse and it's just going to keep getting worse. And that's, I mean, I'll be honest with you. My partner Christina's kicking about with her swear t-shirt on. And that's the, there you go, that's it. And that swear t-shirt was always for one purpose. It was to say, stop, snap out of it. We can't walk about looking at our toes, thinking it's bound to be worse next, isn't it? It's bound to be worse next. We've got to get our heads lifted up. We've got to say, no, it doesn't actually have to be worse. It could actually be better. We could actually build a life that's worth living again, that we feel is worth living for us and for our children, but for everybody. We can do that again. Incidentally, we digress. That's another thing that we did in the book, which was a surprising amount of it. And Ian Wacker, one of our, one of our board members, uh, is here, and he advised a lot on this. No point telling folk to sacrifice. No point telling people, oh, well, you want to have the better society, we better make it a bit shitter for you. We can't do that. We've got to accept that people want the future to be better. One of the things we spent quite a bit of time doing, some of our prevarication, was just going over a lot of the research. What do people actually say they want from their lives? What do they want from the world? And the question isn't how much of it can we give them. It's the question is always, how do we give them all of this in the best way for them, for us, for the society and for the planet? And that's another underpinning of this. It's everything in this is about making people's lives better, happier, more fulfilled, more enriched. And we know, because the science is absolutely spot on with us, there's no question. We know that doesn't come from shopping and chucking things out. We know that that comes from people participating, socialising, being active. Massive sections of this, another section that Caitlin played, was our sports section with our uh, wonderful student who did the whole summer with us um, as a volunteer. He's, uh, he does studies music at Cambridge University, James McConaughey. He came up, he's going to publish the paper soon. He did our art stuff. Not just about um, promoting Scotland's amazing culture globally, but about getting every single one of us, every single one of us involved in the arts. Whether it's strumming a guitar in the afternoon, whether it's going to a painting class, whether it's going to a comedy club or, or a music gig, these things make us happy. Not in the short term, but in the long term. You know, it's not hedonic, it's eudonic. It's deep and it's meaningful and it's lasting. That's what makes people's lives feel wonderful. We can give them this. We can make all of these opportunities open. We can rebuild communities around about participation, engagement, socialising, the things that lift a human. We can do all of this in Scotland. One of the luckiest countries in the world. Lucky for bad reasons. Lucky because we were depopulated. Lucky because we don't have power, which has been we haven't been able to develop our society and our economy. Lucky for because we've got problems and they're horrible problems. But Lucky because we can fix them. We have the land, we have the energy, we have the people, we have the space, and we have the political will. And that is another heart of this book, togetherness. Forget what unionists, some unionists, tell you about division and splits and, and bitterness and divided country. One of our biggest strengths in Scotland is that we have a remarkable, remarkable degree of political consensus. Commonweal works quite successfully with the Scottish Tories on a number of issues because the Scottish Tories actually feel similar to us on issues like care and local democracy. You'd be surprised how much consensus there is in Scotland for localisation, for improving people's lives, for a lot of the climate change action. 
We have a consensual country. We have got it all. We have got the people, we have got the power, we have got the resources, we have got the will. And what we are trying to do with this book is to remind everyone to find the energy and the determination because that's the last thing that we need to make this work, along with our independence. And Hell yeah! <laughs> And that's all that I want to see. What I want to see is this book has been something we have lived with for so long now that I can't, I told you, I can't see this. It's, 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 I don't even know what's in it anymore. I just know that it left me inspired and hopeful. So thank you all so much for coming. I have recurring nightmares about throwing parties and no one's here. So it's delighted to see everybody coming out for this. Thanks for your energy, thanks for your encouragement all over the time. Thank you so much to everybody in the Commonwealth team who's all coming up. Come up, come up now, everyone in the Commonwealth team. And after Robin's speech, there were various team photos of the whole team on the stage. And what a great job. Uh, well done, everybody. I can't wait to get hold of my copy. And it wasn't just the Indie Life podcast team who were there. We also bumped into our Independence Live colleague, Mike Fennick. Mike managed to capture a quick live stream with Robin and Craig DL after the event, and here they are. Welcome to a venue called Drygate in Glasgow, and a book launch that's just taken place very, very successfully in Glasgow. Robin McAlpin, tell me about what you're doing, what you've done, and what this is all about. Right, hi everyone. So right, we're out at the Dry Great Brewery today, launching our new book. So you have just a wee peek at it here, but you're not catching the real joys of this, because uh, it's not just about the content, it's about the whole book, when two illustrators are working on it, um, and it's a beautiful piece of work. So, no, we're absolutely delighted, and that's us launching it today. So we're out here to try and persuade everybody that there's still reasons to be positive about the future, that Scotland can still be the amazing country we all believe it can be. We just need to stop and ask ourselves, what's wrong and how do we fix it? So the, the name of the book sorted. And um, so that's what we've been trying to do. We spent a year and a half working like crazy in the policy team to try and find out all the things that we think are broken and work out all the ways to get them fixed. And that's what we've done. We've gone through chapter by chapter, we've taken all the big issues in Scotland, we've worked with the best people that we could find anywhere in Scotland and beyond, and we've said to them, how do we fix this? How do we make it better? How do we do this better? Uh, and we pulled it all together, and oh, I mean, it's been a massive team effort with them gang of proofreaders and all the, our experts did all the content checking. We've pulled it together and, you know, we're all knackers. It's been overwhelming. And then the books arrived on Tuesday and we opened the box, we pulled them out and all I can tell you is I went, yeah, that's magic. So that's it launched. You can buy it from now. You can go on the Commonweal site, commonweal.scot and order the book. Um, we're posting now. We hope that this does what it did for you, what it did for us, which is just lift us and remind us that it can be so much better than this. So let me just introduce you, uh, colleagues. You will know Craig, obviously, but some of you might not know uh, Nicola Biggerstaff, who's one of our policy team now, who led on care and schools issues for us. What's your, what's your feeling? I'm going to go to the ladies first. <laughs> <laughs> Nicola, hi. Hi, nice to see you. <laughs> you hi. tell me your part in the book. 
Um, so I am Commonwealth Policy Coordinator. Um, I oversaw our working groups, which were groups of experts who consulted with us in helping to make this book happen. So we had healthcare, we had schools, we had social care, and all of our experts really were a credit to themselves. They really, really worked so hard to help us make this happen. And yeah, again, I think I think Robin said everything that we really. Robert, to Robin say. said putting all this together took a year and a half. Yeah, that's intense. It's very intense, and I've only seen about eight or nine months of it already. Um, really was diving in head first. But yeah, they really are an absolute credit to themselves, and it has been such a joy and a pleasure to work for Commonwealth for to see all this through. And thank you to our kind supporters and donors as well, who also helped to make this happen. We couldn't really couldn't have done it without you. Thanks, Nicola. Yeah. Craig, my friend. Yeah. So what you might not know is next year is the tenth anniversary of Commonweal. Um, so. In, in doing this book Sorted, we essentially managed to draw on 10 years of intense policy work that, we, that we've done and, and, uh, and contributed to Scotland, plus, as Robin has said, bringing in policy work from, from areas that we haven't yet touched. Um, and we hope that this book does something that we haven't yet done. You might remember our 2018 book, How to Start a New Country, which was, right, we've just had an independence referendum, we've voted yes, what do we need to do to build all the things that Scotland needs to do to be a country? Everyone kind of thought that was the Commonwealth Manifesto for an independent Scotland, but it very carefully wasn't, because it was as policy neutral as we could be. We were just digging the foundations to allow other people to build on top of it. This book, Sorted, is much more of that vision. This is what would happen if Scotland really knuckles down, goes into the Commonwealth Policy Library and basically steals all of our ideas, they're all there for free, <laughs> and spends 10 years building a Scotland that works really for all of us. So I'm really excited to see this. This has been a lot of hard work. There's the book. Um, here's the book. It's a gorgeous book and please, 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 please buy it even just for the artwork inside it, which is absolutely fantastic and amazing in itself. Um, our, our artists are an absolute credit and have done an amazing job and really bring this book to life. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it and I don't usually do that. I picked up this book and I almost cried. Um, <laughs> so I'm really excited that this, this year and a half of work has come together in this and I hope that you can, you can read it and share it with your friends and spend the next 10 years with us getting Scotland, Scotland sorted. I'm going to mention something that Robin finished with when he was addressing the audience and I'm delighted you got the audience that you got Robin is you never know when you start these things who's who's gonna come all you were talking about is the feeling we all had in Scotland back in 2013 and 2014 when everything was possible we kind of lost that feeling over the past few years Robin was telling us and encouraging us folks Everything is possible if we get together and put it together everywhere and everything. Thanks very much, Robin, Craig and Nicola. So I hope that gets everybody's 2023 off to a nice positive start. And don't forget, you can get hold of the book sorted from commonweal.scot. Uh, make it your New Year's resolution to subscribe to Scottish Independence Podcasts. If you haven't already, you can find us wherever you like to get your podcasts. Great for listening on the go. We've got a new episode out every Friday. And remember, there's no rest till yes.
Thanks for listening. Bye now.